Sunday Fleming. Please be seated. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 12. It's been very encouraging so far just to listen to Martin's testimony and uh, just to know how real it is. And I uh, appreciate Martin being real with us and, and telling the story as it happened. And uh, we're just so grateful to God because His mercy, His grace are more than we need. Not only covers what we need, but there's always a little more too. So uh, very grateful for that. Uh, he's got great reserves. We're going to talk today about Jesus, the King and Suffering Servant. And it's interesting because the story, the chapter we're looking at is really uh, basically the week running up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And really this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which many people have have heard about or seen depicted somehow in a movie or something, uh, this triumphal entry really was that given to a king coming into his, his city, his capital city. And it's, what's interesting is the only coronation he would have would be a crown of thorns. And the proclamation of his kingship would be made actually by the Roman governor who would nail it on the cross over his head. And so here we are with Jesus a week before, and actually from a number of angles it looks like things are going pretty good in his ministry. He's got some faithful disciples that are with him. The crowd at this moment seems to love him. But sadly, in just a week everything would change and turn. And we would see that the Messiah was actually not just the Messiah of Scripture, not just fulfilling His kingly prophecy, but He was also the suffering servant. And that Jesus, in fact, would undergo suffering to establish His kingdom. So I want us to watch together. We're going to be looking at some video clips, uh, again from the Gospel of John. And we'll look at the first uh, 19 verses here to begin with. Passover, Jesus went to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from death. They prepared a dinner for him there, which Martha helped serve. Lazarus was one of those who were sitting at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a whole pint of a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, poured it on Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The sweet smell of the perfume filled the whole house. One of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, the one who was going to betray him said, Why wasn't this perfume sold? For 
300 silver coins. And the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would help himself from it. Leave her alone. Better keep what she has for the day of my burial. You will always have poor people with you. But you will not always have me. A large number of people heard that Jesus was in Bethany. So they went there, not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from death. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus too, because on his account many Jews were rejecting them and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Praise God! God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord! God bless the King of Israel! Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, just as the scripture says, Do not be afraid, city of Zion. Here comes your king, riding on a young donkey. did not understand this at the time, but when Jesus had been raised to glory, they remembered that the scripture said this about him, and that they had done this for him. The people who had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from death, had reported what had happened. That was why the crowd met him, because they heard he had performed this miracle. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, we are not succeeding at all. Look, the whole world is following him. Okay, you know, um, there's two elements here that are common for a coronation or for a king coming into his own city. And one is the idea of anointing and the other idea is that of uh, riding in in some kind of procession. But here is Jesus, the Son of God, and there's not some big, incredible, elaborate ceremony where he's dressed in some kind of stately clothes and some you know, official person is pouring some oil onto his head and pronouncing some kind of blessing. Instead, we have a close friend, a woman, on her knees, pouring out oil, not on his head, but on his feet, and wiping it with her hair. Now, I, I know for us, that's kind of un unusual, right? It's almost a little distracting. Uh, almost as distracting as that plate of chicken was for some of the brothers, uh, right as it was coming out uh, at the beginning of that little dinner. But, but the truth is, Mary was showing honor to Jesus, and she was showing her humility. And yet there's an interesting contrast because Mary's there being humble before God 
and recognizing that he's about to make a sacrifice. And Judas is talking business and money. And Judas is going, you know, 300 pieces of silver. Now we know what Judas will do for 30 pieces of silver. So you can imagine what's going through his mind with 300 pieces. And see, it's interesting because we can look at Jesus and we can see him as a king and powerful and want a little bit of that for ourselves. Or we can actually see him as the servant of God. And see that also he's inviting us to participate in that, to share with him in his, in, you know, in his ministry. We also see this contrast. Mary honored Jesus. Judas just saw the material waste. But then we see this procession. And again, you know, I think we've all seen movies where some Roman emperor returns to his city and all the trumpets are going. And he's usually either in a chariot or some beautiful big horse, usually a big white horse. You know, and the horse is just clippity-clop, clippity-clop. And here's Jesus, the king of kings, coming into Jerusalem, and he's on this donkey. And I don't care how you make it look, riding a donkey is not dignified. Uh, I'll never forget, they're, they're even a little harder to guide. But at uh, one time in the Middle East, I went on a trip um, through the desert with some friends. We went on a, a day trip, and we actually got to ride some donkeys. There was nothing glorious about it. Uh, the most crazy thing was the donkey had more control than we did. But you know, Jesus didn't just make the lightning flash. We're seeing something very significant. As the king of the universe rode into Jerusalem, he rode in with humility. He rode in with a willingness to give himself, to surrender himself. And what's amazing is the people received him with joy, and yet it would just not even be a week before, in fact, they would be asking for his death. Well, let's just go a little further. We'll watch the next clip. Some Greeks were among those who had gone to Jerusalem to worship during the festival. They went to Philip, he was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And the two of them went and told Jesus.
Whoever wants to serve me must follow me. So that my servant will be with me where I am. And my father will honor anyone who serves me. Shall I say, Father, do not let this hour come upon me. But that is why I came. So that I might go through this hour of suffering. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven. I have brought glory to him, and I will do so again. The crowd standing there heard the voice, and some of them said it was thunder, while others said an angel spoke to him. It is not for my sake that this voice spoke, but for yours. Now is the time for this world to be judged. Now the ruler of this world will be overthrown. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to me. In saying this, he indicated the kind of death he was going to suffer. Our Lord tells us that the Messiah will live forever. How then can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Light will be among you a little longer. Continue on your way while you have the light, so that the darkness will not come upon you. For the one who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Believe in the light then while you have it, so that you will be the people of the light. After Jesus said this, he went off and hid himself from them. You know, this clip began by Jesus saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, when I think about someone being glorified, doesn't that seem kind of positive? You know, doesn't it sound like someone's just going to be honored and commended and be given some kind of award, some kind of, you know, status? I mean, to be glorified sounds so encouraging. And yet, as Jesus said, it's his time. You know, he fell and sat down and was filled with grief. And it's interesting because the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give us this picture of Jesus the night he was betrayed going through this in the Garden of Gethsemane. But John shows us a little more that Jesus was feeling this pain already a few days before. And I have a feeling that he'd been feeling his pain already for a while. Because he knew what God had said would come to pass. And he knew that for him to be glorified would require sacrifice. It would require suffering. You know, Jesus uses a figure here which is really interesting. He talks about a seed dying, that the seed must die if it's going to bear many seeds. 
And that's exactly what happens. For a seed to germinate, it has to actually begin to decompose. It has to die a little so that it can actually begin to live, to produce this new life. And so Jesus is trying to get us to understand for this great thing that He's about to do, offer Himself as the sacrifice for our sins, it would require suffering. It would require Him to give up His life. And so He went on to say, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You know, we're making a choice. And it's so easy to love life, isn't it? I mean, there's some good moments, some sweet moments in this world, don't you think? Where you kind of go, this is great! I don't know, the last few evenings, at about 8 o'clock in the evening, the temperatures drop down to about 21 degrees, 22. And you can just go sit on your, in your backyard, on a chair, and you're comfortable. That's amazing! We're in England! You know, it's amazing. But you know, there's this kind of a feeling of, wow, this is great. You know, that's just a little weather. You know, so many other things in our lives that we think, if we just had this, life would be great. But what Jesus is saying is, if you want the glorified life, you have to surrender this one. You have to give up this life if you truly want to see God's glory. And he went on to say, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Who wants to be where Jesus is? Okay, good. Who wants to follow Him there? Okay, because when Jesus said that, and to get to heaven, what was between those two points? There was the cross, right? There was suffering, there was death. But there was glorification because God raised Him from the dead. And He's inviting us to actually share in His glory. Look over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we'll pick this up. In verse 16 it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. You know, the thing is, heaven should be a draw for every one of us. I mean, if heaven doesn't encourage you, if heaven doesn't call you, then you've not really taken the time to reflect on what heaven is. Heaven is all the beauty and the most awesome moments you can imagine that you've experienced on this earth. Just these little moments. That's just a taste of what heaven will be. And even the moment of knowing your sins are forgiven, even the moment of knowing you're right with God, when we see God, faith is removed. We will know it in an amazing way. That's what heaven is in the very presence of God. So what does Paul go on to say here? Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
The path to glory is not easy. If you want to share in His glory, you must share in His suffering. And you know, the people didn't like this message. Why did the Jewish nation want a powerful king who would come and beat down all their enemies and establish them as a power? Why did they want that? They wanted it for themselves. You saw one of the crowd run out in the little clip. He actually put his hands on Jesus' neck. Tell me the truth. What do you mean? And throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has used this phrase, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Elsewhere in the New Testament, this phrase lifted up means exalted. To be glorified in a sense. But in the Gospel of John, it has a double meaning. That the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross. That He must go through suffering and death for us. And the people didn't like this message. You know, I would encourage you this week to really think about heaven, where we're going, so we can embrace the difficulties that lie ahead. So as we go through some suffering and we go through some pain, we can remember that this is momentary. That we're actually going to be in heaven. You know, I got a chance to see George and Mervia this week at their home, and, you know, it's not fun what they're going through. Uh, home dialysis is not fun. And it, they're suffering there. But you know, in heaven, there's no kidneys. You know, there's no need for dialysis. And I know others have been ill, and others are facing issues. But you know, in heaven, those things are removed. It's only the good that we can imagine and even more that will be in heaven. Isn't that incredible? But sometimes our momentary affliction seems so heavy and so big. And I appreciate Jesus in the Gospels just didn't stand up and take it and never flinch, but instead was filled with grief and felt the pain and was anxious even about what was coming. But he laid those, ang- those anxieties before God. He didn't want to suffer. Who would? Oh, it doesn't mean he didn't love us, but he didn't want to suffer. And so, because of God's command and because of his love for us, he went through this. Jesus told them, You're going, you are going to the light just, just to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. Well, he was referring to the fact that he would leave. But the good news is that he's back in spirit. That he is with us now. And we can walk in the light. We can walk with Jesus now, looking forward to eternity in heaven with him. And our difficulty and our suffering, God uses it to test our faith, and God uses it to bring Him glory. It's when we're in a difficult time that, in fact, we really show our faith in God. Let's just look at this final clip from chapter 12.
even though he had performed all these miracles in their presence, they did not believe in him, so that what the prophet Isaiah had said might come true. Lord, who believed the message we told? To whom did the Lord reveal his power? And so they were not able to believe because Isaiah also said, God has blinded their eyes and closed their minds so that their eyes would not see and their minds would not understand and they would not turn to me, says God, for me to heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Even then, many of the Jewish authorities believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not talk about it openly, so as not to be expelled from the synagogue. They loved human approval rather than the approval of God. Jesus said in a loud voice, Whoever believes in me, believes not only in me, but also in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees also him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. If people hear my message and do not obey it, I will not judge them. I came not to judge the world, but to save it. Those who reject me and do not accept my message have one who will judge them. The words I have spoken will be their judge on the last day. This is true, because I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has commanded me what I must say and speak. And I know that his command brings eternal life. What I say then is what the Father has told me to say. And John here uses two quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And it's interesting what he says. He says, Isaiah, in verse 41, said this because he saw Jesus' glory. I want us just to turn back to Isaiah 53 for a moment. Because that's what John was quoting here as he was writing the gospel. And see what follows. Isaiah 53, verse 1. He said, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so here is the question. Who has believed this amazing message that's come from God? Jesus said, I am the message. I am the light. I have come that you might see. But look also what Isaiah saw. Here's the glory. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It's interesting. Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus, but he also saw his suffering. And here we have in John 12 this picture of Jesus coming out, showing himself to be the king. He rides in, triumphal procession. They, they quote the, the psalm that was said about kings, Hosanna. It was, it was all there. And yet what was to follow was intense suffering and pain. And Jesus went through that to fulfill God's purpose. You know, the death of Jesus on the cross is unjust. It wasn't fair. There's nothing fair about it. But we need to understand that God's forgiveness of us is equally unfair. It's unfair to God that He has to do all the giving. It's unfair that we can't earn our salvation. It's unfair that we can't do something to take away our sin. But we can't. Instead, it is only by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we can be acceptable to Him. And like in the Old Testament, when the worshiper accepted that this animal died for them, that the blood was shed for them, we acknowledge that Christ died for us. That our sin put Him on the cross. And that God's forgiveness is real because God demonstrates His willingness to suffer for us through Jesus on the cross. Jesus came to call us into the light. It was a rescue mission. You know, and, and rescues sometimes... You know, they, they take place in various ways, but, you know, we've had a number of ferry disasters. But what's interesting is, you know, there's been other boats go out to rescue the people that are in the water. And what if, you know, the, the circumstance was such that the person in the rescue boat could only reach out, but, not, but only part way? And the person being rescued must respond. Not that they're earning the rescue. You can't do that. But if, if it was a matter of just God fishing out everybody, that would be favoritism. God instead offers through Jesus salvation. But we must respond. Let's just close by looking in John 3, which really is 
sort of a summary of the whole Gospel of John, just time and time again. John 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's exactly what Jesus said here in John chapter 12. He goes in verse 47, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, who doesn't believe in me. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. You know, there's only one rescue mission that really works. There's only one name under heaven by where we might be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. And we have an amazing God who demonstrates that love for us most perfectly in the offering of His Son, Jesus. And let's think about our King. Jesus could have done it differently. Jesus could have matched anything. He could have, he could have driven up to Jerusalem in a nice limo. But He came on a donkey. And Jesus could have got, called down a legion of angels, ten legions of angels. He could have changed Anything he'd wanted to, but he didn't because he loved us. And so what we see is our king is also a suffering servant. And he invites us into his glory, but also invites us to share in his suffering. And i got news for you. If you don't accept that offer, you're going to suffer anyways. This world is full of suffering. The good news about being a Christian, at least one aspect, your suffering makes sense. God actually uses it for something. And so let's be encouraged this week as we face difficulty. Let's remember who we follow. Let's remember what Jesus went through. And let's draw strength from His love and His sacrifice. Let's pray as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father and God, we thank You for the amazing Gospel of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, there's never been a book written that's more fantastic, really, than what we see in the story of Jesus dying on the cross for us. Father, who could ever imagine a Creator of the universe willing to take human form, willing to humble themselves to the point of death, Father, this is an amazing picture. It's, it's almost too hard to believe. It's so amazing. And Father, we thank You that You have affirmed this story through the resurrection of Jesus. We know that it is true. We thank You for the eyewitness accounts we have in the, in the New Testament. We thank You for Your inspired Word which trains us and teaches us. But we thank You also for the Spirit of Christ poured out on this world, Father, that can indwell us and give us closeness to You that we could not otherwise have. Father, I just pray that we worship You in spirit and truth this week. 
Not just through song and prayer, but through action and through sacrifice, through word and through praise. I pray, Father, that we can realize that Your Son, the King of kings, humbled Himself for us in service to You. Father, we thank You and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.